Somebody Somewhere is a production of Rainstream Media Incorporated. This podcast investigates a double homicide that occurred in 2016. It is a true story, but the opinions of the hosts and interviewees are simply that, opinions, not facts. And the credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Previously on Somebody Somewhere. People describe you as the king of the jungle. Oh, I'm not a king of the jungle. I'm just here to help them. Are you taking, but not to be your mother, but are you taking medication? One of Fats' runners, one of his drug dealers, went up to Uncle Francis. Juice knew there was going to be a secret recording. Plenty of time to talk to these boys, to tell them to take credit for something that they did not do. Tell us why you're crying. Because he is like a godly person. This is episode seven, Who Are the Good Guys? I'm your host, David Payne. people were killed and three wounded Tuesday night in a shooting near a homeless Deadly shooting in the jungle may be connected to a drug debt. Three teenage brothers were arrested and these 17, 16, and the youngest, just 13 years old. You know, I know God is, is my right way because I meet a lot of people here for a purpose, you know, like, because I like to help people. And they got nowhere else to go, so we stay here. It's not a bad place. People think it's a bad place because from the past, you know, we all make mistakes. You know, the past, you can go and try to take another chance, you know. Here, we're all together, and we all get along and work together. Every day I wake up with so much respect I have for this man. His spirit is so deep and all beyond. When we finally sat down to break bread with Francis and his disciples Jack and Tanya, our mission was clear. Find out what he would tell us about the jungle murders and the Taafalusia brothers' possible involvement. His name was being bandied about in the courtroom as some kind of boogeyman, this person who had a mysterious beef with fat over drug territory shortly before the murder. But within an hour, Everyone's crying. I said, my God, and it's hard for me to talk. Those are tears of happiness, huh? And you, brothers, to you, sir, brothers. We love you so much. I'm going to cry until midnight. But if there was love in that campsite, there was also some indication that things may not have been what they seemed. When I was a seven-year-old, my favorite person in life was, was Hitler. Was who? Hitler. Hitler. That was my idol. People say he's a bad man, but he was not a bad man. He's not a bad man. He's a good man. Why God gave him that power to conquer everything? He cannot do it by himself. You know, God gave him the strength, the power, but he used it the wrong way. That's why. And if Hitler was a good man, where exactly was the bar? In fact, through another lens, one could easily imagine that the flock of people who kept silently approaching us at the camp during our interview were there to get something other than Francis's blessing. And as we left the jungle that day, the truth was 
it was hard to tell who was telling the truth. What was your take on all this? Some sad shit, though, dude. They got more food at their location than I have at my house. Yeah, I, I uh, don't you know. He clearly has a lot of faith. Mm-hmm. By the way, did you check into the tent? He had like a 40-foot big screen TV. No. In there. Yeah. Confused. It was all very staged. She had her Bible. She knew we were coming. She told me. What? Tanya. She told you that what? Oh, I was afraid I had missed you guys. I wanted to make sure I was there for the interview. Really? Yes. Yes. Huh. There's a lot of crying going on. A lot of crying. They're fucking con artists, dude. Look, do I think they've had horrible lives? Yes. Do I think they've done shitty things? Yes. Do I think that they're trying to live a better life? Probably. But, you know, he ain't St. Francis. Look. And while Jody was comfortable taking the jaded reporter's view of our encounter with Francis, I came away much more conflicted and willing to entertain the possibility that Francis, like Lucky, was a changed man who had forsaken his sinful ways. And I wasn't the only prosecutor buying what was being sold. D.A. Mary Barbosa herself was also extending the Samoans who lived in the jungle the benefit of the doubt. When asked on cross-examination by the defense if he would turn in, if Lucky would turn in his, quote, Samoan crew, meaning Reno, Juice, Uncle Francis, Ace. And Lucky said, it depends. And I asked him on redirect, on what does it depend? And Lucky said something to the effect of the amount of violence. The reality is you're never gonna know. He's related to the defendants, Reno, Juice, Ace and Francis, people he's close to have committed crimes. And as he said, he wouldn't do something like this for selling drugs or for petty robberies minor crimes but this was different as he said people lost their and while barbosa was willing to accept lucky's proffered motive explanation at face value the defense would be a whole different story in their pretrial pleadings and in court the defense didn't just reject it they argued that lucky had let slip the real beef behind the murders a dispute between fat and uncle francis that had been going on for months and to support that claim they were able to use the prosecution's own evidence, the encampment video. No, it wasn't me, it was Francis. Francis came down there and called me because I had the, the thing, you know? So I went up there with Francis, with my brother with him and Uncle Ace. Yeah, the pill that nigga, bro. Of course, the more we looked into that story, the more apparent it was that no one really knew who was telling the truth. After our meeting in the jungle, Jody was holding firm that you couldn't trust anything Francis was saying. But come to find out, that would be the minority view. New at five, prosecutors are charging two Seattle firefighters in an attack on a homeless person. In another one of those wait what moments, we had learned that Uncle Francis was involved in a 2014 incident that was also one of the biggest stories of the year in local media. And in that case, Even though the city had no apparent knowledge of his status as a king, 
his word would be taken as the law of the land. Seattle firefighter Scott Boleyn is on disability after he was stabbed yesterday evening in Pioneer Square. Police say Boleyn and another firefighter were off duty walking through this park with a woman when they came across a homeless man sleeping on this memorial. It's a tribute to Seattle firefighters who died in the line of duty. This story about what was essentially a street fight involving two firefighters captured the imagination and headlines of the local news for months as this incident moved from arrest to indictment to trial. And in the official telling of the story, it went something like this. Around 5.30 Saturday after the Sounders game in Occidental Park, a fight broke out between two off-duty Seattle firefighters, a female friend of theirs, and two homeless men. Witnesses say it was the woman, Amazon senior finance analyst Mia Jarvanine, who started it. This is a vicious, unprovoked attack on a defenseless person. Police said the vicious, unprovoked incident started because Jarvanin and her friends, who were leaving a Seattle Sounders game downtown, were angry when they saw a homeless man sleeping under a memorial for Seattle firefighters. And guess who helped provide that narrative to police? In the last hour, Coma Force Christian Drew spoke with a witness who said the firefighters turned on him when he tried to help the victim. I didn't do nothing. I just looked at him. My friend slept under the thing with him. The guy went there, just kicked him in the face, and then uh, the lady grabbed the food and threw on him. Yep, Uncle Francis. The first guy hit me here the first time. He's the second guy hit me right here. In the version of the story that would dominate the headlines, Uncle Francis and another two homeless men were innocent victims in the melee that ensued. Witnesses told police the woman became angry about what she saw, yelled at the homeless man, then started kicking him. As things escalated, the off-duty firefighters also got involved. Guy was pursuing him. I stood between him and said, let him alone. He said to me, my brother was a firefighter, and he died in service. Circumstances about what happened that night were messy, and police would take about an hour to figure out the conflicting stories of the firefighters, the homeless men, and eyewitnesses. Ultimately, the men in blue opted for the narrative of Uncle Francis and wrote it all up. A police report shows the first firefighter, Robert Howell, started punching the victim and then stomped on him as he lay on the ground. Later, it says the other firefighter, Scott Boleen, grabbed a homeless man's wooden walking staff and started beating him, striking him on the top of the head. And just like in the jungle murder investigation, once the narrative was on paper, the police report became the official sorting out of who the bad guys were, and the official consequences would follow. Police said the firefighters and Jarvanin were drunk. All three are charged with fourth-degree assault and harassment. Those firefighters have been on paid administrative leave, and the department tells us they will continue to be paid until an internal investigation is finished. The arrests of firefighters Bob Howell and Scott Bulleen, as well as his girlfriend, Mia Jarvanin, says a lot about the city of Seattle. Mostly, I think, the story took hold and became such a big deal because of the collective shame that people have at how we deal with the homeless and the impotence of the city at finding solutions for the crisis. Even the fire chief felt compelled to fall on his sword. On behalf of the men and women of the Seattle Fire Department, I apologize 
for the violence that occurred in Pioneer Square this weekend. The actions, these two firefighters... It was as if the city needed to show by action that we do take the word of those less fortunate over the privileged. It all made for a good story. It made us all, for a minute, feel better about ourselves. But if the public got their feel-good fix in Francis's story, then firefighter Scott Bulin got the short end of the stick. And one of the guys, Cassidy, he had a stick, and he was coming at me swinging a stick. So I ended up grabbing that stick, and we wrestled. We both went down to the ground, and when I was on the ground, people were just kicking me. I was stabbed in the abdomen, the back, and the lower arm, and I've been waiting for somebody to be contacting me, to be honest. I'm curious, when we reached out to you, you seemed very happy or eager. Maybe that's the right word. Well, I feel like I never had a voice, and I knew this day would come, and I was just waiting for it. I, actually, I think there's more to come after this. Scott Mulane is a 50-year-old former firefighter whose life imploded in an instant five years ago. I was involved in an altercation in Pioneer Square, and I was ultimately stabbed, almost killed, spent a few days in the hospital. And his version of events sounds a lot different than that of Uncle Francis. Somebody was urinating on the memorial, and Bob walked up to him and said, what are you doing? And the guy took offense, and a fight ensued. And that's when the yelling started. And I heard somebody scream. And I went over there, and I grabbed him by the shoulder to pull him away and say, let's go. And before I knew it, there was like six-plus people immediately in that area. And they made it sound like we were attacking, and that's not what happened. I was on my knees getting kicked by several people. He was one of the people that kicked me. And when I got up, he was right there. Buleen says the he was Francis, and that the firefighters and his girlfriend Mia were not the instigators. She just didn't walk up to somebody and start kicking him. I mean, let's get realistic here. This started going down the road. And unlike the tidy feel-good narrative told on the news, the circumstances around the fight and Buleen's stabbing were more nuanced and therefore more difficult to decipher. To hear you share your side of the story, it's not just one thing that was reported incorrectly. I hear seven, eight, nine, almost every point of this. What did they get right that night? They went back and forth. They were like, go ahead and leave, come back, and then they go ahead and leave again. And then I don't know what they did get right. To me, it's all wrong. I actually got the crap beat out of me, and... I was almost killed, and I bled all over the place. The thousand firefighters that I worked with... But before the media would get it all wrong, according to Buleen, it was his brothers in blue. So Officer Pavlaki showed up. He was one of the initial officers, and he saw what was going on, and he was, was like, okay, we see fights here all the time. And that was kind of it. And I looked, you can pull it up online, there's fights there every day, and... How did this one get so blown up? You know, one of the reasons... What looked like a simple altercation that would go nowhere shifted as crowds gathered as the blood pooled in the street. 
and police realized they would need to do an investigation. And one of the officers said, you're bleeding. And I go, oh, yeah. And I just figured the stick jabbed me somewhere. And then I just saw it was more and more blood. So they sat all those guys down on the curb, and we were standing there, and they said, okay, you're free to go. And if you look at the video... According to Bulene, as police began taking the statements of Uncle Francis and the two other homeless men, the entire dynamic changed. But the three of them, you can tell by the looks on their faces, they were like, we're going to jail. So they started talking real quick. And they said, I want that woman arrested. And, you know, they just went on and on. And I think that they've had enough interactions with the police in their life that they knew that they had to get the ball rolling in their direction. So I think that's when... Bulene says police would cave to the loudest voice in the room, as it were, and decide to charge the stabbed and bleeding Bulene and his friends as the aggressors. And then that started the news cycle. And that right. started the headlines. Yeah, I think the news was already started, but then it just went. And unfortunately, people copied and pasted that, and it went viral. And there was news websites that I'd never even heard of. And I was like, I wanted to scream it back to the Internet. Like, that's not what happened. And just like that, the jungle would claim another victim, this time one of its servants. And I've spent my whole life helping the homeless. And I've changed the bandages on people's feet that are oozing clear pus and bleeding. And I truly love those people and have taken care of them for decades. This narrative that took off like wildfire, it changed your life. I mean, it changed Absolutely. the entire trajectory of your life. That's an understatement. Absolutely. It was, it's horrible. It's, I can't put in words what it's like. And I can't imagine... You know, you go to a regular day at work, and then that's your last day forever. And there's, like, no warning, and you just have to deal with it the best you can. It's like standing in the corner of a room or something and watch yourself get just murdered. You know, I don't blame anybody. I blame myself, and there's no words. There's nothing. It's like watching yourself die. Somebody Somewhere will return right after this break. Firefighter Scott Muleen may not have been willing to blame anyone for his plight, but the city was certainly blaming him. He, Bob Howell, and Mia Jarvanen were all prosecuted by the city attorney's office for fourth-degree assault. And although they would all be acquitted, both firefighters would still lose their jobs over the incident. And it feels like I'm in somebody else's house now. And I feel like after all of this, I've lost everything. The people I worked with, my reputation, my job, my income, everything. And over something that seemed cut and dry and simple. How do you not get pissed off about it? Or are it you? Hurts. Or are you pissed off about it? Well, I don't think that being pissed off is a reaction when you feel like something's not fair, I guess. I've gone through every emotion you can think of, and it wasn't just lightly. They were very intense. In Scott Bulene's story, we were vicariously experiencing every one of those emotions, and we heard echoes of the depression that led Tracy Bauer to the jungle. But in this case... It would be the words of the king of the jungle 
and not drugs that would be the untimely undoing of Scott Bulleen's life. And in Uncle Francis's rendition, he was just an innocent servant of the people. There was a part of me when I got beat up by the firefighters. They helped me. They were good people. If you look up on the jungle, on the news, all you see is drugs, crime, shooting. That's the one that people you see. They want to show only bad things, but they never show the good part of, of, of the other side. See, that's why the society back there, like, they cannot stand homeless people. They hate homeless people, but the homeless people is not bad people. You know, like, we're found to This question of who is telling the truth, the firefighters or the homeless, found parallels in the hung jury room of the Taafalusia murder trial. And whether you agree with what I say or not, or believe the news over me, or think the courts are wrong, that's your own decision. Scott Bulleen made a compelling case that he was the victim of the assault, not Francis and his friends. Of course, like so many other judgments required of this story, our assessment of who to believe would benefit from a few more facts. You might have wondered, for example, why the Red Wall abandoned him so quickly after this event. Turns out, Bulleen had had two prior episodes which cost his credibility the benefit of the doubt. And this isn't the first time firefighter Baleen is accused of being aggressive. In 2012, Seattle police say he was involved in a road rage incident where he claimed to have a firearm. And last March in Shoreline, this accident report shows he, quote, gunned his vehicle across two lanes of traffic, hitting another car, then pulled over and yelled, what the F are you doing to the other driver? But as long as we were playing this game of assessing credibility based on prior behavior... And before we leave this thread, we had to look at the record of St. Francis, the one place where his actions speak even louder than the words that destroyed Scott Bulleen's life. If I look at you, if you look at me the wrong way, I go there and hit you and slap you. That's the way I, that's the way I am. And as I grow up, I went to jail for doing that. I went to jail for doing that. And I think the more I do that, the more I can go to jail, I go to prison. Francis's rap sheet includes numerous arrests for crimes as various as drug dealing, stolen cars, and felony domestic violence. But what caught my eye the most as character evidence was a 2013 charge of assault in the near-death beating of a man named Melvin Harris. You could see down into the white meat of his head, if you know what I mean, you know, if you get a cut so deep. Mark Williams is a stevedore who works the docks. And he was a witness to the assault on Mr. Harris, one of Francis's most significant arrests. They're the first stevedore I've met. Before we go to the incident, just... Calling Williams just a stevedore, though, sells him short. His own encounter with Francis was as brief as Bulleen's, but probably even more telling. It was Saturday uh, afternoon. I was sitting out in the parking lot on the north side of the building, seeing uh, one guy running kind of limping, running, you know, and then next thing I seen four guys chasing him and hitting him and banging him, and then this guy was looking for some time. Williams was killing time waiting to go to work when he says he saw Francis and three other Samoan males running through the parking lot of the Longshoremen's Union. And that's where the altercation happened, right out here, and they were just, they were mangling this guy. You know, four of them was, you know, just, just on him. And so me and my buddy came over here, when they were on him, what was happening? Oh, they were beating him. Kicking him, punching him. What? Some guy was beating him with a foreign object. 
and the type of wound that he had was it was severe was severe wound you could see down into the white meat of his head if you know what i mean they had a, a lead pipe or a knife or they were doing it bad so how did you guys break up the fight how just went it? over there just our presence made him stop had Mark and his friend Corbin not intervened, this incident had all the makings of a homicide. Was the victim fighting back or anything? What was the... Just trying to protect himself from getting hit. I mean, four-on-one's pretty aggressive. Yeah, he wasn't protecting himself. He was just trying to stop from getting killed, probably. You weren't scared? A little bit, but I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit around and just let him just kill the guy because that's what that our intentions were. There are not many people who would step in, actually, so... That says a lot about you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would want somebody to, somebody was doing some harm to me, I would want somebody to, you know, help me. And while we've gotten a little far afield here from our murder case, I just thought we could all use a little hero for a moment. And Mark Williams and his friend Corbin were exactly that, for stepping in and protecting a stranger from a beatdown by Uncle Francis and his three friends. And after taking stock of all these prior events we had learned of involving Francis, Jody was holding firm on who to believe when it came to assessing the words of King Francis against those of Scott Bulleen. You're very forthright and honest about what has transpired, the good, mm -hmm. the bad. You've taken accountability. You know, this guy's stabbed people and thrown rocks at him, and now he's talking up with a soft voice of how he's a victim. And then he tried to sue the city on top of that. I made a mistake. I was in a pressure cooker for a few weeks, and I regret that. I'm not making any excuses, but it went from being involved in a fight to being stabbed to losing everything I've ever worked for in my life and being torn apart by everybody on the Internet. You know, you've owned your mistakes, and I think it's up to people whether they accept your narrative for what it is. But you've been genuine and open and honest, and we will share that narrative. As for me, I shared that sentiment about the firefighter incident. I think Bulleen, as flawed as he is, got a raw deal. But when it came to rendering judgment on Francis's involvement in the jungle murders, I was struggling with the fact that all his bad acts were before he quote-unquote met God and was converted. He too had acknowledged mistakes in the past, but claimed to have moved past them when he accepted the Lord. The truth is, casting stones from afar is a tricky exercise. You tend to miss. But if you're a stone's throw away, well that's a whole nother story. Another damn, we just trying to make a way now The hatred growing stronger every single day now I hear these rappers, they ain't trying to talk about it They ain't trying to get involved And they would rather catch a wave now Next time, on Somebody Somewhere You know, the police had said that robbery was to take care of a drug debt for their mothers And that's not what happened No Tell us what happened these kids didn't just wake up and decide to do something one day. There is a story, there is a pattern, there is a history. Before the Vietnamese had it, the Cubans had it. Before the Cubans had it, the Samoans had it. So they were trying to get back their jungle. When I say your name, can you please take a stand and just remain standing? We have David Payne. Stop it, you're not pop, pop.
Stunting on the ground, fair wise. Running for the techno Somebody Somewhere is a production of Rainstream Media in association with Warner Media. This podcast is created, written, and produced by Jody Gottlieb and me. Sound design, editing, and mixing has been provided by Dayton Cole at Resonate Recordings. Editorial guidance provided by Mitch Gelman and legal services provided by Stuart Pearson. If you like this podcast, the best thing you can do to support us is to write a brief review on iTunes and share us on social media. You'd be surprised how these reviews can make or break an independent podcast like ours. Thank you for listening. Oh.